I'm Tommy Beardmore. I'm Adam DiCarlo. And welcome to Before the Break, a podcast for actors, by actors, brought to you by Working Actor Pro. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Before the Break. This week, we are so lucky to have our guest on the podcast. You've seen him on such shows as Reacher, Human Resources, Archer, The Good Place, The Magicians, and Mickey Mouse, Funhouse, just to name a few. And of course, you know him best as the familiar Guillermo on the Emmy-nominated comedy series, What We Do in the Shadows. Please welcome to the show the very talented, very funny, and very busy Harvey Guillen. (laughs) Hi, Harvey. <laughs> He's too going? busy to talk. He's too busy. <laughs> I can't talk. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. This is it. This is all you got. <laughs> Harvey, you, you and Adam were raised in the, in the same um, part of the country, eh? Uh, Orange think, County, oh, California. No, like, oh, no, I'm not in that anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Orange County, yeah. I was born in Santa Ana, um, but then I moved to San Gabriel. San Orange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a stone's throw away. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. you guys like uh, passed, cross paths at the arcade or something, you know, in the 90s? No. Who Anything's knows? possible in ah! Orange <laughs> <laughs> That's on the billboard when you get into the town. <laughs> Anything's possible in Orange County. Oh, Harvey, bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. So let's let's start early. Let's uh, Let's do something different, Adam. Let's start early. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> This is, what, this is what we always do. Harvey. We, we just kind of to get an idea of where you're from and your environment and when the seed was planted and all that good stuff. So um, obviously we know where you're from. How was your upbringing and was it um, was it conducive to kind of what you were going for in life? Um, I mean, I grew up in, in uh, Orange County or in Santa Ana until I was about seven um, I did fall in love with acting pretty young. I was about five and we were living there. And I Big family, like, small family. Uh, at that moment, it was just me and my mom. Um, and she was working like three jobs. Um, so it was just me and her uh, living in this one bedroom apartment in um, Santa Ana. And I just wow. remember I was watching uh, Annie for the first time on television. I thought it was a show because we didn't have any money. So we didn't go to the theater or we didn't rent movies or anything like that. Uh, so I was watching this. You're like, when's show. the next episode? Uh, I need the next episode so of Annie. I was obsessed with this new TV show because I saw it from the beginning. I was like, whoa, what is this? Um, I'm also five. And don't she know just how. got adopted. I can't wait to see what's next. I didn't <laughs> work out. Fine. Uh, and I just started watching it, and they were singing and dancing. These kids were like just orphans. They're poor, and you know, uh, and I was poor, and I knew that at that time. I was like, oh my god, they're singing and dancing. Like I sing and dance when I help my mom on the weekends when we're cleaning, you know, like the apartment or whatnot. Yeah. And I remember I I said, mom, I want to be that. And she goes, okay. And she's like, I want to be that when I grow up. I want to be an orphan. Uh. <laughs> she she's like red me. hair. And I was like, no, I want to be that. I was like, oh, son actores, they're actors. And I was like, there's kids who are actors? And they're like, oh my gosh, actors. Okay, I want to be an actor. And she was like, no, it's para niño rico. That's for rich kids. And I was like, what? You have to be rich to play poor in television? She goes, no, ah. I mean, you have to have money because that costs, a, it's training. You know, like you have to go to dance classes and acting classes and voice classes. And what, and what did your mother, what was your mother doing for work? She was, was working at, she was literally working at like two factories, like a, a ready pack, 
like where they pack salad fact, like, you know, into plastic bags. Um, And, you know, she was trying to make ends meet. Like she was just, uh, there was no way, there was no way that was a luxury. Like also when I would go to school and like come back and kids got allowances and I would like, I discovered what an allowance was. I was like, what are you talking about? My, I just did my bed. My mom gave me $5. I was like, I do my bed because if I don't, my mom gets mad. <laughs> like a bank? And like, what? yeah, like I'm not following. So uh, there was all these American traditions that I was bringing to like my Mexican household, you know, wow. uh, family. And it was like, no way. Like I was like, well, my friends get an allowance. And I was like, you have a roof over your head, don't you? And I was like, yes, that's your allowance. You get a roof. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you got food on the table. You're allowed to have a roof. You're allowed. Enjoy. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. You and then, so oh. it, it teach me like the value of like working for what you want. Cause I remember asking my mom, can I have the money? Uh, to take this improv class they're doing a community center and she said no we don't have the money for that that's for the coins for the laundromat that's for grocery shopping and i said i was really disappointed she could see that i was like discouraged but she said i didn't say you can't do it i said you know i was like well how can i do it? I was like Mijo, if you can find your own way you can do whatever you want so if you can find your own way to like paying for your own class and stuff you can do whatever you want no one's saying you can't you just have to find your own way and that's you know at this point i'm like six and then just like okay well I'm gonna find what a life lesson. I love that so early. Yeah, so early, and it did, it did change the trajectory of my the way I think because uh, I did see friends who were being granted what they wanted. They wanted allowance. They wanted money for ice cream. They wanted they get that if I wanted something, you have to earn it and you have to fight for it. And so I was walking home from school one day, and there was this homeless man going through a trash can, and I was like, "Mom, what is he doing?" So gross in the trash can sticky and gross and she said oh vendelos bought this he sells the cans i was like you make money from trash and she was like yeah you can recycle the tin and i ran into her closet got a wire hanger and hooked into a long skinny finger got a food for less uh plastic bag from this from the uh, kitchen and i went through the park and collected trash to pay for my first class wow That's beautiful. Bless That's your mother. Such a beauty. Yeah. God bless your mother. Bless yeah. your mother. And God bless you. I could have been, I could have been kid. really bratty and spoiled. And I'm sure a lot of kids can experience this and they'd be like, oh, it's not worth it. Screw that. You know? Uh, oh. But at a young age, I just, I feel like I've always been like an old soul. Like even at six, I was like talking conversation, like having conversation with my, you know, my mom. Uh, yeah. And I was just like talking to her, like as a person, you know? Uh, and, and it really kind of was a life lesson for me because after I, it took me four weeks to raise the money to take that class. And it was only an hour and a half, I think. And it was babysitting. They put the five-year-olds with the nine, uh, to five to nine together. And then like 10 to like 14, they got to do like scripted, you know, like, like a scripted kind of like, idea. <laughs> um, right. and the younger kids did improv because you're just babysitting us. And you were like, okay, now you're a lion. Okay. Now you're a tiger. And then you right. walk around, you crawl around. And after I did it, I just remember there was this crackle to the essence of performing in front of people and then having a good time and then hearing their laughter that I was like, oh, man, it took me four weeks to raise the money for this one class. I was like, do I want to do that again? And then I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And so I just started doing end jobs like here and there. I, I used to be the runner for a taco truck at a, at a swap meet. With my roller skates, I would I would bring your order to your table. I was a a, a taco roller, uh, and I was uh, I sold. Chocolate. Is this the swap meet in Costa Mesa, like Newport Beach? Uh, no, this was when we moved to San Gabriel area. So the okay. next time okay. I was like I'm talking about like in the next following years. Um, there's, there was one in Monte. There was uh, there there was one in Rosemead that had it was a church parking lot where they did a swap meet. 
uh, and I would roller skate to it. Um, and there was one at Garvey uh, Elementary School that I used to uh, do one there. Um, yeah, and I saw Chocolate Store to Door with this like corrupt guy who was a crook, and he knew that he could target low income Latina uh, uh, communities because there's not a lot of places to go as a as a young kid to get work. Uh, and so I I was called. I don't want to give him their name because they'll give him so much credit. But there was this, as a teen group and he would put flyers around the neighborhood and says, are you between the ages of 13 and, and 15 and want to make some extra cash? Then join blank, blank. Here's my number, blah, blah. And you call this guy and he showed up to your house. And I lied because around this time by now I was like 12 or 11 and you have to be 13 to be a teenager. Hmm. And I lied. And I said I was 13 and he showed up and he looked at me and I was like, I always been like short and stout. So he was like, are you 13? And I was like, mm-hmm. and he goes, yeah, you look 13. And I was like, Thank you. Like, it's just like, it's <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, great. So like, I somehow convinced my mom to let me do this corrupt guy's job because all he would do is go to the 99 cent store and buy those long boxes for 99 cents, mm-hmm. put them in a box for you, give you a fake laminated flyer of a fake program that did not exist that kept kids off the street. It was us selling chocolates for $5. He gave us $1.50 and he pocketed the rest. Right. And so we make $1.50, $1.50. 50 for each box and it cost him a dollar just to buy the box and he'd make the remainder. And so you didn't make a lot of money. You had to sell like 20 boxes in one night to even make anything. But he was so smart because he would make us, I was, I was his bestseller because I used it as an acting technique. I would go to door and I'd be like, hi, my name's Harvey. Now I'm at blank, blank, blank. And I just need one more box to get to my goal. And so I'm like, well, I'm diabetic, but I'll give you a tip. And I was like, okay. And we're not supposed to take tips because he Uh hated that because he can't get a cut of that. Right. I just saw him shake down a kid one time. Most of the kids who worked on this program were out of juvie. So okay. they went to juvie and they came out and they, some of them had tattoos. They're like 14, 15, already starting on the wrong foot. Like oh. society was already going to like not look them in the, the, you know, the same way. Shaved heads. Some of these guys have been in gangs. And here I am like this, like 11 year old with like a box and like, oh, I'm wearing a Power Ranger sweater. And it was just like, I just got chocolate. Um, and they put us, he put us in the <laughs> And pack us in a van and it's like sardines. Like you get like 20 of us in a van. And the way he drop you off in neighborhoods, he give you a piece of chalk. And when you go into a neighborhood on the curve, you put an arrow and your initial and you go through that neighborhood. And if you don't exit that neighborhood, we know where you are. That's what they find and at the end of the night. If you put an arrow going out of that neighborhood, that means you moved on to the next block. So he would just drive slowly every block with an arrow in, arrow out, arrow in, arrow out, arrow wow. in. He's here and he come and find you. And we work until like 10 p.m. at night on school nights. And oh, I, my God. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I was just like balancing it all. Like I was just trying so hard to like, you know, have a job, pay for like what I needed, my tap shoes, my everything that I wanted, you know, ballet classes. Like oh. I was trying to like do as much as I could because I didn't know what the formula was. I knew I wanted to perform, but I know what it took. And I thought I took everything. I took, I, you needed to sing. Yeah. You need to dance. You need to do improv. You need to be multiverse. Like, so I needed to learn a little bit of everything. And I was yeah. trying to, you know? Oh, and, and I, this was birthed from, uh, already from struggle. So when you get to that point, and we're going to get to that in a second, you automatically have this gratitude, this relative idea of what Whoops, co- comfort is and what money is and what a dollar fifty is to you, yeah. you know. And I'm sure that that we'll get to it again, but um, I'm sure that that influenced your path and how your perspective on it. Um, starting 
early on in your life, like for my sister, my mom and myself, it was just, it was just us before my dad adopted us and, and eight more came. But when it was just us, it was really special. When I remember the day that we were at the mall and my mom said, you can have a can of Coke. You can put two quarters in and get a Coke. And we were like, are you serious to split? You know? And, and (laughs) so, so, you know, when I, when I had the darkest days of my life, I always just thought about my mom and how she, she made something out of absolutely nothing, you know, and it's really important that that struggle in the early stages. And I mean, you didn't know this, but you were already starting your career by just preparing as a well, young yeah, kid. I think it's so funny that people say or use the term really loosely overnight success, overnight mm-hmm. success, your night success. And it's like never overnight two years, years that nobody sees. Yeah. Nobody you don't see sees. the years and struggle and the nose and the heartbreak and the tears and the literally blood and sweat. Uh, so for you, it's an overnight success. Uh, and sure, there is cases of, you know, actors who fall into the right place, at the right time. Perfect. And that's their trajectory. And that's their story. And it's wonderful that it worked out that way for them. But that's not the norm. That's usually not the case. And when people say that, it's always it takes me back. I'm like, oh, to you, I'm an overnight success. And that's OK, because the narrative to you want to believe that that's for you. And what you think of me is none of my business. Right, I'm, right. I'm on the right road and I'm doing what I want to do and love what I'm doing. And if along the way you become a fan by thinking that and you thought, well, I like that guy, I come out of nowhere. And it's like, yeah, Kerry, yeah, thanks for thanks for the support, you know? Right, um, right. Because it's if you try to change everyone's mind of like, well, let me tell you the true story. Yeah. You're gonna spend the rest of your life trying to prove your case. But it did teach me that at a young age, and it was just, you know, and it taught me about people. And this guy, the guy who was a crook. I mean, he would like shake down these kids. If, they, if he saw you take a tip, I saw him shake down this like 14 year old kid. And he was like, we don't take tip. And I was like, and it was like physical with them. And I was like, oh my God. And I was terrified. I also Good knew there Lord. was bad people in the world. And also like being part of this, uh, you know, toxic relationship where I needed him. He needed me. I was his top seller and I continued to work. And then when I was like, I should just get my own boxes, started thinking, I was like, what am I doing? I could go buy my own. I saw his routine. I was like, he bought 99 cents. I can buy this. I'm the product. I'm the one right. selling the product. I'm the person they want to buy from, not the chocolate. They don't care about the chocolate. And then I got smart to it. Like I was like, why am I working for the man? <laughs> when oh my I'm God. Be- this is incredible. It's like a movie. You're, it's already like. You're, you're, you're like not even 15 years old. And the life lessons right. and things that you're learning and the hustle and all the things that you will then later y- use in your career. And it's like, oh, I've been doing this since I was 13. Like, right. yeah. and, you and know. It's like, it, yeah. You know, and it is like a, you know, I'm we're in the in the middle of working a working title of like these experiences of me as a kid and where I come from and how I got where I am. So copyrights, you can't take the ideas away, guys. <laughs> um, but the idea that you know I caught on to like how people act and how they run their business, how they uh, treat other people, and and either you treat people with kindness or you don't. Um, and I saw what well, this guy was so because after you make us work all day, and let's say you sold five boxes, you only made like seven bucks you know he would take you to mcdonald's to eat to get dinner not on him to use your money so you would go home with nothing and so he would like take you you were hungry and you get dinner and then you go back home and you were right where you started from you had to go to work the next day because have i been swindled yeah (laughs) it was like bullshit chocolate swindler you know like it was like before and so i started catching on and so 
I wouldn't spend my money. And I was like, no, nah, my mom ate dinner at home. He's like, don't you want to go get dinner with everyone? And it's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, you get dinner. And I was we like, we have dinner at home. Yeah. My mom always says, para que comer en la calle si hay comida en la casa. You know, why eat food <laughs> at home? And so I was like, no. And I was like, mom said, and he was like, don't you want to get dinner? So you could see that I was starting to like distance myself and be like, I'm going to not need to come in tomorrow if I don't want to. But I was his bestseller. So he wanted me to come in every week. Oh my gosh. This is like an August rush kind of Robin Williams is the bad guy. Yeah. What am I doing? So I, I like branched out on my own and did my own thing. And, and then eventually I was old enough to get a work permit. And eventually I worked at Burger King and then I worked at a uh, Payless shoe store because I found out that that Payless paid the most uh, for their employees because it was the hub for the Southern California stores. Oh wow. And I remember I went to the mall and I was like, can I work here? Because it was like, I think it was like twice or triple what, minimum wage was something like for me in high school what would have made oh, a difference i was like all i have to do is work two hours a day and i make what i make at burger king in five hours oh my and god so i was like i need to get this job and so i walked to this store really cocky and i was like hi i like to apply i was like oh no this is a flagship store like we import people from other stores here like they are the top sellers of their store i'm the top chocolate seller i don't think you yeah really i don't think you know you're talking to i sell chocolates door to door and uh, <laughs> well, I remember I was just so cocky of going in there and he was like, I'm sorry, we're not taking applications like that. And I was like, okay, how about this? He's like, these are all the best sellers. So I was like, yeah, how about if I come work Saturday? If I don't sell more than all of your best sellers, you don't have to hire me. Oh my God, who are you? And I was like, but if I sell more than your best sellers that you've worked with for years, you will hire me? And he's like, it's your Saturday. You're not going to do it. I got hired the following week. Bitch. <laughs> That's great. You said, watch me. Watch, watch me. And I, I've been, I, my whole life I've been told oh you can't do this. You're too, you know, whatever yeah. the case is, like you're too round. But your mom you're said, you want to do it? You have to do it. You and you just, it, oh my right. gosh, this is incredible. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, wow. did you, you must have taken that sort of confidence. We've had, we had a very interesting and similar upbringing and my mom used to say like you are great and you can do this and you she it was all that validation to where the child finally just believes it whether whether they're brilliant or good or not or bad whatever that and, and it kind of influenced the trajectory and and how they walked into the audition or the the job um opening or whatever you know you just believed that you could do something and it's sort of like that confidence is just the same as when you're auditioning. You sort of like, I can do this. I absolutely can. This is mine. Um, so I think this is such a cool like way to prepare your life. Well, I think forward. that my mom did the right thing by starting me off with that, but I feel like she, in her heart of hearts, thought that maybe it'll be like something that would fade out that I would be like no longer interested in. Because right. as a mother, she was concerned that life of an actor is a gypsy basically to her she was like right there's no stability and so eventually as i got older she saw that I, I was really going with it i was really committed to it and she was starting to get worried like she was starting to get worried so she would always be like so you're gonna go to school to be a doctor or a lawyer right i was like i could play a doctor you know yeah, it's like, oh. yeah right and she was so, like but, you know there's no stability in that and eventually her fears were coming across so as much as she started with the encouragement there was a period of time where she were feared for my like well-being of being in the industry and i always wanted a stage mom i always wanted to be the one who was driven to the auditions by my mom but she was not she was not a stage mom at all and mm -hmm. if anything she would be like well if you can do it you're gonna do it you know and she saw me slowly get work and and you know 
there's no stability in this industry, you know, like the ups, the highs are highs and the lows are lows. And so to her, she was just always like cautious, like, okay, well, what's going to be your plan though? Like the other plan, because I was still going to school and I graduated high school and going to college. So I was still like doing great, you know, um, through academia, I guess, if you will. But right. she wanted to maybe lean more into that. Like it was more like, a, well, now that you, you know, you're the first one to graduate like high school, you know what I mean? And you're the first right. One That's a lot of pressure too, isn't it, Harvey? I mean, it's a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure for me, but I also realized that unfortunately for her, she taught me early on that if I want something bad enough, <laughs> nothing's going to get yep. in the way. And so she had already given me the tools, like the teacher had yeah. given the student the tools. Right. And now the student was the master, you know? And I was just like, like mom, this is your fault. Yeah. It's going to be an actor. You <laughs> made this problem. Um, and so so what you, you were getting, you were getting serious. Let's talk about high school and going into, did you, did you go to college for acting? I did. I went to okay. school. I was supposed to go to Southern Utah on a Shakespearean scholarship because I want to be a Shakespearean actor. Mm. Um, and I went to visit the campus and everything. And it wasn't for me. Like it was just not for me. And I, I thought I, I think I convinced myself that I want to be, I didn't want to do TV and film. I thought TV and film was not real thespians. You have to be on stage to be a real theater actor and a real right. thespian is on stage. Yeah. And I was like, it wasn't for me. Like it just, I got there and I was really good at it, but I was my heart. I knew my heart of hearts. I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right. So I came back to LA and uh, I took a semester at a college that my friend was attending and they had a musical theater program. And I was like, oh, musical theater. I do miss do musical theater. And I love to always do musical theater. Musical theater. I want to do musical theater. That's what I want to do. So I went to school. Um, they're doing a musical theater class. And uh, unbeknownst to me, they had a great, great program. I just literally, that was uh, by luck that I fell into it. It was called Citrus Singers. And it was a program that basically trained you for uh, the world of musical theater. Wow. So your classes were like 7 a.m. tap, 8 a.m. jazz, nine uh, voice lessons, 10 a.m. ballet, 11 improv, 12. Like so your whole day was the artist. Yeah. The full day, like a full day. And I thought I was taking an acting class with the head of the department, Sherry Brown, who's an amazing uh, a drama uh, professor. And I wanted to take classes with the best. So I wanted to take her class. I'm like, I'm sorry, this class is reserved for the Citrus Singers. And I was like, oh, what is that, a choir? And they're like, yeah, it is a choir. It's a really, it's a world-renowned choir. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And after the talk, I was just like, I'll just take that choir class and this acting class, and I'll do a semester, you know, and like still work on my craft. And they're like, oh no, they auditioned for that choir. I was like, okay, when's the audition? They already happened. I was like, okay, you're not helping. You know, like I was just like, I was trying yeah. to get. The Honey, come on, you know I'm not going to take the note. Just, just tell me what I got to do. <laughs> what I gotta do. Uh, and basically, they were like, you got to go talk to the dean. And I went to the dean, and he's like, oh, we got all the boys we need, but let me hear you sing. And he plays some scales and he's like, oh, and I'm a first tenor. And they're like, we don't have a, that many first tenors. And I was like, okay. And they're like, so, all right, talk to Ellie in the office and talk to the. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take that uh, choir class and the acting class. Thank you very much. Like, no, 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 no. You're a sister singer now. And I was like, okay. You're, you know, the average uh, college student takes anywhere from like 12 to like 24 units per semester, maybe. This right. was yeah. 50, 52 units. Jesus. 52. I was like, no, 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 there was a mistake. Sorry, there's no possible, what? He's like, here's your schedule, Monday through Friday. And it was like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., 6 a.m. to oh 10 p.m. Oh, my God. And you were like, I was just thrown into it. And I was like, what in the? Oh, my God. <laughs> what and is this place like, called? It was Citrus Singers. And, Citrus and they still Singers. are. And actually, to this day, I've always said that. It really did give me the training to like be disciplined in that place because it was like oh, it was yeah. a military. 
it was the military for musical theater. If you're if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're fired. It was the first lesson they taught us. And uh, and they didn't they they stood by it. They would stand someone at the door at exactly when the clock strikes eight. And if you're down the hallway, bye. Mm. They would close the door. Yeah. And you go through the window, like, what are you doing? It's like it's still it's still eight a.m. It's like exactly at eight a.m. The door closes, and they were like, no <sighs> room for error. So you were really on always on pins and needles. You were always on point. You were always trying to like you know do your best. It was a little, yeah, a little kind of traumatic as well because it's like at a young age and you're being molded and you're like, but I do thank it for doing what it did, which was give me structure and give me like, you know, discipline. And and so now people from around the world, when they hear, you know, oh, I used to be, a, I was in Sister Singer 78. I was in Sister Singer in 89. They they went through that discipline, you know. Right. Uh, oh, wow. Like, oh, yeah. And so um, I did that. And then after that, I wanted to continue to get like, you know, um, my degree. So I did three year program there uh, and then get certificate over. I moved over to AMDA, but they were teaching me the exact same thing that I learned at the other program. So then they recommend that you don't audition and they're like, don't audition. You're not ready. You're going to be ready when you graduate. And I was like, well, technically the whole goal is to get a job. Right. So why wouldn't you audition? So I auditioned secretly while I was right. going to school there for the first semester. And I booked a, a job in Japan for 13 months. And Whoa. I had to go to the Dean and I was like, I booked this job that I don't take it. You're not ready. And I was like, I think the contract says I'm ready. <laughs> and it's like, you're not ready though, because we'll tell you when you're ready. I was like, so this institution is going to tell me when I'm ready to go to work because then I will no longer be attending the institution and giving you money while I wait for two years to see if I get this job again. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a theme of people putting walls in front of you. Right. I don't like walls. Saying you could, <laughs> that's the theme. You go, no, no. And you push it down. You're yeah. not going to work at JCPenney. Oh, just you wait. Yeah. And then you can't do this. You can't do that. And you're like, no, I am. And why yeah. are you trying to like hold me back? Like, yeah. And they tried to. They were like, yeah. they offered me more scholarship. They offered me. And I was like, why would you try so hard to stop me? If anything, it would be because I would go on and say that I did go and, and do this work and do this craft and whatever. But I never finished that program. So they couldn't use my picture in their profile or their uh-huh. you know, website uh-huh. and stuff yeah and, and schools so, are businesses don't forget everybody that's schools I went are businesses there. and they want your tuition money yeah and i went there for a reason because i remember watching that in high school and marissa jarrett when uh was in there and she was in hairspray and i saw hairspray on broadway and i was like whoa she went there she went there and she, that was the only thing i could see anything close to a resemblance like me she was plus size you know what i mean short style and i was like whoa they made a star out of her like you know it's because that's what i thought and then cut to years later, Mercy actually did, you know, she's done a couple of seasons on our show. And I told her this story and she told me the same thing. She was like, I never even graduated from that place. They were like, <laughs> ah, how about that? So wait, where did you go overseas? What you went to? I went to Japan. Yeah. I went to Osaka uh, and I was doing a contract for 13 months um, through doing their they have a theme park, but they have musicals. So they have yeah. Sesame Street Live, they have Blues Brothers. They also have the rights to Wicked. So they're the first person to put a Wicked outside of Broadway was Universal. Whoa. Um, they did it. Yeah, because Universal Whoa. owns the rights to Wicked before I went to Broadway. Right, right, right. Uh, and so now that it's a movie, you know, or being a movie, Universal has the rights to it. Um, so I went really excited because I'm a big fan of Wicked. And so I was like, whoa, what am I going to play? I'm going to play this, that, and that. So they were having me play a teenager in Sesame Street. Uh, where like, you know, I showed up and they gave me the script and the script was in Japanese. And I was like, oh, I think 
I, just, I got the wrong script. They're like, no, it's, that's the script. And I was like, oh, but it's all in Japanese. They're like, yeah, we're in Japan. Like the show's in Japanese. And they not once did it cross my mind. That's the way that I, I thought oh, for some no. reason. I'm so young and naive. I'm like, well, it's it's in English, the music. So we're going to go and do it there in, in English. And I'm sure, you know, <laughs> all they have to do is say, Harvey, you can't learn Japanese. Yeah. And you ah, haven't finished yeah. in a week. Yeah, and, uh, and I have to learn Japanese in like two weeks. Uh, Wait, you really did it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my so God. I did it. I did the show. I did Blues Brothers. I swung in and I learned the track for The Wizard and Wicked, which is so weird because I went from a teenager in Sesame Street, a 30-year-old right. Blues Brothers, John Belushi, and then like a 16-year-old <sighs> with like, you know, with a white wig and like wrinkles or whatever they all that but to this day i can't hear sentimental man from wicked without going into japanese sentimental man auto like tune in my like voice and head can i hear it are you fluent uh no but i know every word I know to the street wicked and blues brothers and in brothers. japanese other than that don't ask me ah! literally <laughs> i can i can i to this day it's like I am did you learn it phonetically or did you yeah i had to because well they use the same vowels like in spanish so it was a little bit easier that way but oh. it was the loss in translation for me that i was like wait so what am i seeing here i know the scene is this and it was just a loss of translation. You know, like I wanted to have the right inflection on the right words. So like in Sesame Street, it was like, um, Mina san, Coco Wakinita. Like it was just like, so what is exactly what I'm saying? It's like, welcome everyone. Uh, everybody welcome. And I was like, okay, so Mina san, everyone, Coco here, Wakinita. Okay, got it, got it, got it. And so I was like, how do I use the inflection of that? And so for me, it was more connecting and not sounding so foreign. Because then obviously I'm, <laughs> I'm a foreigner. Wow. I'm gaijin, a gaijin, which is foreigner. Uh, and one of the first sentences I learned uh, that I was taught was, uh, uh, which means I'm so sorry, I'm a dumb foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, though, Harvey, is that at the early stages of our career, our, our brains are our sponges and the way that we're training and learning and having experiences, it kind of tells the story about what we're going to do later. So right now, you're you're breaking down phonetically this totally other language while memorizing, while singing, and your brain must be going like evolving faster than, than, than the average actor who's fresh out of college and ready to audition. Like it seems like your m machine is getting like tuned and built and you're just ready to come back and start working. So I'm sure that was a great experience for you in terms of like just building the muscle yeah it and, was a and, crash course and yeah. learning to be a professional learning to uh because i convinced myself because this is my first gig and so when they did give me the script and it was like terrifying but i was like this is what professionals do this is what professionals do they gotta do it they gotta put it together and then so i did it you know and then looking back I'm like wow that was a lot to take in yeah. all at once but i convinced myself that if i wanted this this is what you wanted harvey this is what you wanted and now the universe is giving it to you so what are you going to say? Whoa, universe, slow down. Just one second. Let me right. uh, let me take out the footnotes on how to be, you know what I mean? Like I'm just, yeah. I, yeah. I just pulled the punches. And it was just one of those moments where it did teach me a lot. And, um, and then I moved back, you know, after the contract to Brooklyn and I was going to be on Broadway and I was doing cattle calls at 5 a.m. in the snow. There was nothing on Broadway that I could play. 
I was delusional. I was just like, yes. I'm like, I came back. I have that in my resume. I have one line in my resume. Everyone oh, work with me. You're about to get served a nice oh, big a steaming <laughs> slice of humble pie. Yeah, sure. I was, uh, I came back. Thank God I came back with like, I saved my money in Japan. I came back and I could live without having to work. And cause you know, they always say when you move into New York, if you're going to do musical theater, to move with no less than like $10,000 or something. Otherwise you have to get a job right away to even pay for the rent that you're going to be living in. And you're so tired that you miss your audition because you were working the night shift at right. the bar yeah. the night before. And so it starts trickling and it starts like, so I came in with a little bit of a cushion and, you know, peppy and like, I'm like possible, anything's possible and got really close calls. Like, you know, summer stock and, and auditions for up and original musicals and touring companies. So I was getting really close, getting close, but nothing, no cigar. You know, I was like close. How are you cigar. feeling at that point? And how I'm, long, how long are you? Is it a year? Is it two years that you were? I was in New York for about, which is the worst time to move. I moved, I moved there in January, which is like winter <laughs> and it's, everything's dead and auditions aren't really happening. And so I was there for like a couple Every of winter. I'm like, I couldn't imagine moving right now when it's I'm, i live in new york and i'm like it's so cold to move right now would just seem miserable Terrible. yeah it was just the worst and no one told me this because you know there's no like map to follow to how to be you know an actor and and so i was just like well this is part of life other people do it and i moved there and, and nothing was nothing was taking before i left to go to the, the tour uh, or the job in japan i had auditioned for another thing when i was in la and it was an educational theater program under Kaiser Permanente, which is a hospital, which they do educational theater. Uh, we, it sounds like it's Patch Adams, like you go to the hospitals and you're like, waka waka, but it's not. It's actually under the umbrella of community outreach, where you go with a full set, costume design, everything, storylines, you go to schools, like elementary schools, junior highs, and high schools. Right. If you're in the high school show, you're like the gossip girl show. So they were like, oh, these like beautiful uh, actors and they and their texts pop up on screen because they have this cool set. And they're like going to the party tonight. I don't know. I think tonight's tonight. You know, like and talking yeah. about uh, abstinence and um, and even dealing with teen pregnancy, uh, HIV conversations, uh, STD conversations. The junior high show talked about depression, uh, dealing with um, with depression was the main focus. And then the elementary school kids show was uh, healthy habits. So it was like, uh, should I choose an apple or a bag of Cheetos? You know, that was the idea. Right. Uh, and so I started with, uh, before I, I left Japan, I auditioned and got that contract and actually turned it down because I turned, I, I accepted the Japan contract that the director was like, oh, we're going to miss you. We're so excited to work with you, but let us know when you're back in town. And so when I moved to Brooklyn, he reached out and was like, are you back in town? I saw on social that you're like in New York. Are you back in, the, in America? I was like, I am in New York. And he was like, but I was going to visit my family in LA in a bit. Oh, when? I was like, I, I don't know, in the next couple of weeks or so. Okay, um, by any chance, can you come to LA just for a meeting like this week? And I was like, that's pretty last minute. I was like, um, I guess anything else going on. So yeah, I guess I could do that and I could visit my family and whatever and get out of this winter weather out of New York. Mm, yep. Um, so I left and I went and the meeting was basically an offering to start the next day. So wow. they were like, we're replacing wow. someone. We need you to learn their track. It's not working out with this actor. We need you to learn the track and you go on in 24 hours. And I was like, don't put a wall in front of me. Is it in Japan? Is it in Japanese? Good. No. Lord. And then I was like, what? Shh. And mind you, I want to point out that this is a great job. You can get this job in Southern California as an actor. I think more people found out about it. So now it's even harder to get the job because oh. it's so coveted now because yeah. it has full medical, dental, 
environment. And it's like you get the same benefits as the doctor at Kaiser Permanente, but you're an actor. So oh, my get, God. Yeah, you get the same perks. You get every medical, every dental, uh, and retirement, 401k, like everything. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to go to the next hospital I see and come in and say, hi, can I um, be directed to your theater department, please? Yeah, <laughs> which is directed to like the Valley or something to the office. I'd like to make six figures. Thank you. Yeah, and it was, it was, <laughs> it was really good money. And like your, your wages are negotiated with your talent degree. If you speak an, uh, uh, another language, you get paid more. Like your, every talent that you bring to the table gets rewarded. So it was like, I wow. spoke Spanish. Great. I speak Japanese. That's another one. And like, you know, my guy, I got trained here. I got this on my resume. So uh, you, I was making pretty good money, you know, when I got the, when I got hired there, because you only work about three hours a day. You do the show in the morning, you wake up really early and you got to drive your own trucks with the sets. You set up the sets by yourself. You don't got a crew. Right. You do a mic check. You put your mic on. Everyone gets costume props. You do a run through, do the show, confetti, cannon shoot at the end, clean up the confetti, break down the set and then go home. So all in all, you do like two to three shows in the morning. You sometimes be back at home in your like room by 11 a.m. So you have the rest of the day to audition. Wow. So awesome. I would do shows in the morning. And by brunch time, I, I was good to audition. So my agents were sending me out and I was doing auditions here and there. And um, what year is this, Harvey? This is 2006, 2007. Gotcha. And this is okay. right before things start to pick up because your credits start to stack up about 07, 08, I think. Yeah. Um, the seven was well, 06, 07 is the first time I got like a professional gig, which was how I got my SAT card, which was, um, it was Judy Greer and her own show called Misguided. And it was produced by Ashton Kutcher. Love her. Yeah. She's so great. And I played a school blogger like Perez Hilton, but my name was Lindsay Lopez. And I had a pink Lindsay Lopez. Lindsay Lopez. <laughs> I don't I know love how it. I feel and you about had a, that. You had a pink streak in your hair. A pink streak in my hair. What did you wear? I, it was my first time going to hair and makeup, and I was so like, oh, my God, Hollywood. And then at the end, uh, the when we wrapped that day, the, she was like, do you want to take it out in the shower? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. They glued that to my scalp, and I was in the oh shower God. like, ow, 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 I couldn't take off the thing. I had to like, oh. email them, like, how do you I take? Oh, sorry, sorry, we should have done that for you. I thought it was a clip-on. It's not. It's glue, and it's stuck to your scalp. So I was like, what do I do? And she told me what to use, like what kind of product and whatever. But I was so excited to be in Hollywood, and this is my right. first gig. And, and then after that, I got a short film for HBO. Um, they were doing El Tux, where um, Becky G was my sister. Uh, so this is before Becky G was the you know world renowned uh, pop singer, uh, and she played my little sister, and I played uh, her brother who gets asked to all these quinceañeras because I'm borrowing my dad's 1970s wedding tux, and it's a really cute, charming short. <laughs> and then after that, um, I was still working at Kaiser, where I auditioned for a new a show based off Sasha Paley's book called Huge for ABC family, which is now named Freeform, the network. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, and Winnie Holzman, who wrote the script Wicked, was the writer for and creator with her daughter, Savannah Dooley, uh, for the show. And I, 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 I was doing a show, my phone was, was backstage, and I knew I was waiting because I was waiting to hear if I got the role. And I got backstage and I had a missed call and it said, call me back, and I was my agent, I called him back. And my friend, Joanna Unger, had her Polaroid with her and uh, and I got the news and I and the second I got the news, I remember I just cried and she took the Polaroid and then she took the Polaroid and it says life changed. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Do you still have it? I still have it. Oh, that's Love so special. That. You're like, random fact, I know your whole show in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I had actually met Winnie in, Jap in Japan when she went to visit the, the oh, land cool. and the cat, but very briefly, like in passing. And I remember, yeah. I was like, I don't even remember me. He's like, oh, Japan, that's right. Like she was so lovely. And uh, and to this day, she's a fan of what we do in the shadows. She texts me all the time. And her and Paul oh. husband, which is one of the original cast members of the electric company and uh, everything oh that you love. Right. Yeah. Wow. Working actors deserve affordable and convenient coaching. That's why we created Book It, America's fastest growing one-on-one -on -one remote acting coach service, all from your device. We're not just coaches, we're working actors too. From Broadway and voiceover animation to TV, film, and commercial. Real actor coaching from real actors, catered especially to you and your path. Anytime, anywhere, we're here to train you, to guide you, to prepare you to book it for more information visit workingactorpro.com slash book it um okay so things are starting to actually like pick up uh you're making a little bit of money you're actually like doing this without having to you know double duty or whatever um side jobs and all that i assume so like what what's going on with agents and auditions and how's how are things going as your journey starts to fire up i you you booked this this show called huge yeah and i remember i, I booked that with um uh my age my old agent uh mm. was cindy osborne got the osborne agency oh yeah sure she was amazing uh and she works with young talent so i was pretty young and you know um uh, they represent like dakota fanning l fanning all the disney kids all of them uh so i i remember i was just so excited because of my first series regular uh, before that, I was another agent that had discovered me when I was in high school. Um, they kind of got me misguided, but also the well had run dry. Like it got to the point where they weren't really like sure what to do with me. I got an offer after I did the LTUX because my counterpart in that scene, um, she was represented with Osbrink and they had seen me. I had submitted to Osbrink when I was in high school and they did not take me because I had no credits. And they were like, mm. and I was like, but I really, because I did my due diligence and I figure out which agency in Hollywood represents teenage actors who's right. really good at it. And I found out that Osbrink was, and I wanted to be with them with so bad and they turned me down the first time. And then I let it go. Like I let go of that. And I was like, well, I have an agent who's was committed to me and blah, blah. But it's just as their well was running dry. Um, Cindy came calling and was like, I saw that film you did for HBO with our, you know, with our actress. I was like, yeah. And so are you still looking for representation? And I'm like, Yes, yes, I am. And then it's like, okay. And it's like, wait, but I have to go and like, you know, tell my other rep. And they kind of knew it was happening because we had not been working. Like it's like hadn't been auditioning a lot. And right. they didn't know. I think that I beat them to the punch. They were gonna let me go. I think you know eventually. They knew, right? Yeah. The punch, and I was like, hey, he's like, hey, like it was the phone, like the conversation. <laughs> this isn't working out, right? You and I, like, we want to be friends, right? After this. I think we're better off as friends, you know? And it was like, I agree. I think we're better off as friends. And I, you know. Never talking to this person again. Boop. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, and I wish you all the best, you know, you too. And then God like bless, yeah. the next week I, I signed with Cindy and, and then within weeks I was booking stuff. Which, wow. You know, sometimes you need, to shift, you need to shift, you know, uh, your team. Like sometimes yep. I always, I always find it funny when someone tells me like, I call my agent, but they're busy. They haven't, they haven't called me back. And I was like, when was that last week? Oh, did you? I mean, I, I get it. 
busy. I had friends like that two years ago. They would have to make an appointment to with their agent like two weeks out to have like a 10, 15 minute conversation. Like no. that is crazy. It blew my mind. And I was like, I think that being with the agent is like being in a relationship. And mm-hmm. I feel like you have to, they have to be like, there's always someone in the relationship who loves the other person just a little bit more. I feel like they're so committed <laughs> to the relationship and it should never feel that the actor is the one who's into the relationship just a little more. It should always be the talent who's being sought after by the actor or by the agent. So right. the agent needs to always be thinking about you. The second you stop thinking about me and, and thinking how we can make a life together and what projects would be great for us to go on this journey is when you're not thinking about me and you're thinking about your other client. And that means your eyes are wandering. That means you're not loyal to me. Right. And that means that this relationship is, uh, it's just me in it and you have checked out, you know? And so then go be with that person. I want you to be happy, you know, go be with that talent, uh, represent them. I want someone who's committed to our relationship and you have to be committed all the time, all the time. It's like, don't forget the romance of like an audition or, you know, or don't right. forget to like send flowers. <laughs> and by send flowers, I mean, uh, I set up a general, you know, <laughs> like don't right. forget the romantic part of being in a relationship with a representative uh, because when the flowers stop coming, you know, your way or, auditions uh then that's when there's the love is starting to fade <laughs> and how are auditions going for you like were you a good auditioner did you struggle i've always been a good audition i'm always good in person i always hate to do it on tape because mm. i feel like a lot of who i am i i i am just in person and so when people meet me in person uh we can have a rapport we can talk about something else you really can't do that when you send a tape you're like hey i'm harvey Gian. this is what you wanted yeah <laughs> That's and, it. And you can have a conversation. You can ask me a question. Oh, I like your shoes. Like, you know, we have like small talk in the room that leads to something or like uh, it's just human connection, you know, that you can get through just sending a tape. Completely. A lot of times you, you can book stuff off the tape if it's so perfect that you're like, yeah, uh, or get a callback or something. But I feel right. like I thrive in person. Like I always said that my goal is obviously to get the job, but my goal really is I, I need to book not just the job, but I need to book the room. So my real goal is book the room. So when yep. I walk in, I've gone to auditions where the on paper, this role is not for me. It is not written for me. It is not catered to me. Even if I got close to getting this part, I'm the wild card, but I made a career out of being the wild card. Again, those walls, you know? And so I I go in with thinking, how would I do this character? Perfectly honest with them. At, how, at the level that I am, at the height that I am, the size that I am with my look, this is what this character would feel like in my vessel. Right. And here's where it is. And they're like, you know what? I never thought of it like that. And, you know, I went to audition for like uh, the internship and I knew the role wasn't written for me because it was specifically written for someone else. And I just was, I'm going to make a fan out of Sean Levy, you know, uh, the director and, and director of Stranger Things and all that. And I remember he was laughing on the floor, laughing on the floor, holding his stomach laughing, laughing, laughing. And then I was like, okay, thank you. And I walked out and I knew in my head, I didn't book it. Right. I didn't book it, but I booked the room. Right. And I booked Sean and he was loving it. I knew I didn't book that role, that character. I walked away. Mm. Two weeks later, I'm filming another movie in New Orleans mm. and I get a call that Sean has written a character for me. Uh... I, it's, he's part of the villain team, but he's a good guy. 
and he's the one that punches Maxman Hell at the end of the of the movie and says, "Man down." So he doesn't speak at all in the movie. He has no lines in the movie, but you always visually see him. He's the punching bag. He gets mistreated in Quidditch. Quidditch. He gets mistreated when they're doing their assignments. He gets, and then so the reward is when he punches him in the stomach and punches the villain, which is Max's character. Uh, that's how the audience roots and is like, "Yes, we've been wanting to do that for that guy. He's such a dick." You know, uh, right, right. An audition that wasn't right for me. And I made a, a, a resume out of that. You know, even with uh, after I did that movie, I got an audition for a new show on Nickelodeon called The Thundermans, Family Superheroes. Hmm. But they're like, it's only two lines, Harvey. You're above this. And I was like, I used to collect trash to pay for my improv class. I'm not above anything. <laughs> and I was just like, so I can. I can. I was the top seller of chocolate. So I was the top chocolate. <laughs> uh, and so I remember I got the role and they were like, so tell me about the character. And they're like, well, he's a superhero. I was like, well, I never play a superhero because no one ever gives me a chance. So that's one. Uh, what is he? He's like, oh, he's a he's an uncle or a cousin. He's a cousin. Oh, he's a cousin. And it's like, well, he's family. Yeah. Well, family never goes away. Family's forever. And he's like, okay. And I was like, that means the, there's potential future episodes with him. He's like, not as of now. It's one time. It's this episode he comes and visits. Okay. I'll go in for it. It's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. I go in for it. Two lines. I book it. I get to set. I do the one episode. I become friends with the, you know, the cast, the creators, Jed, Springham. Three weeks later, they wrote a whole episode about the cousin, and I, I recorded wow. on that show for four seasons. Yeah, Blobbin, twenty thirteen to twenty eighteen. Yeah. So that was a pretty good, good gig. And look at you—I mean, you're just applying what you were as a kid to now. You know, your assertiveness, your aggressive nature, and knowing what you want, and knowing that you can get it. And if you don't get it, then it's fine. Whatever. Not having all those—that's the stakes, which I think a lot of actors have. Um, most trouble with it's all derived from the stakes and how important this audition is and how I need it in order to like, feel like I have purpose. And yeah. you, you, like you said, you were an old soul from the get go. And with old souls comes wisdom. And with wisdom comes an understanding of what this thing really is. And you probably bypassed 10 years of struggle just by arriving at this place where you knew what this business really, really was and how to, how to, navigated i suppose you grew up working for a hustler so you just have this this mentality of of god's honest hustle that you have applied to your career and it is i mean yeah to what tommy's saying the old soul thing like you had such wisdom built in from a kid and now you're using it in your career and yeah you're right tommy you probably did bypass so many years of like wait, what do what? And you just have that hustle mentality and it's unbelievable. I mean, you could, you choose to like, you know, people always say, well, that's kind of also fucked up that, you know, your childhood was that tough because it was your childhood taken. I was like, no, my childhood wasn't taken away. I was learning like a life lesson. And I was, my goal was always to hit my dream. My goal was always to make my dream a reality. And so my childhood was, stepping stones and getting my wish and my wish came true. My yeah. dream came true. And not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot of people can say that their dream came true. And I yeah. can say that. And so looking back, it's like, it was just a long race. It was a long race to make my dream, but I was stubborn and I was like, I have to make my dream come true. And I have to, this is what I want to do. Um, and I did. And it's this that mentality of like hustle and like the work ethic and, yeah. Uh, you know. S some would say that when success comes early, you know, the subject loses out on 
the like the 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 struggle um experience and all that it gives you and and that person might not even struggle at all but we know that that's completely untrue and no matter how much money is in your bank account or how many credits is on your imdb you're going to struggle through certain pockets so for you harvey you're just getting started you have a whole life ahead of you but i'm sure that there were pockets of struggle whether it was emotional drought or financial drought, whatever it was, um, what were those struggles and how did you navigate through those? I mean, yeah, like every, everyone's journey is different, obviously. And, and mine um, had its pockets as well. You know, there's always pockets, you know, there's always for, you know, there's moments where like people are like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. I saw you on, you know, my first series regular, everyone thought you're set, you're set for life. You know, you said and I was like, no, it's a, it's like a cable network show, and it's not like I'm making a lot of money. Uh, but but the idea when you see someone on screen that that's performing and you see them every week, there's this there's mentality goes with that uh, that people think, well, they're good, they're good, they made it, they're, they never have to worry about money again. Right. And that's just not true. You know? <laughs> and it's just like, and then also when I first got this gig, I I was you know young and not married. I never partnered. Didn't, uh, I wasn't a homeowner. So I got taxed like ridiculously where like 40% of my earnings went to the government and I had to write like, a check for, you know, the IRS. Like it was like, so no one tells you these things. No one tells you they're like, you did it. You're on a show by the way, 40% of your income, is this, you know, and it's like, Oh, oh my God, your agent. And then, you know, 5% to your lawyer and then publish it, whatever. And then you're just adding it up. You're like, Oh, Oh, Oh my God. Oh, I mean, <laughs> So, I guess we have uh, McDonald's at home. Oh, uh, I guess I should go out. Uh, I mean, there was times where like, people were like seeing stuff that I would do episodics of things. And there was moments where like I was worried that I couldn't pay for my place the next following month. Amazing. And those moments are like, it's so funny because people are like, oh my God, I see you all over the place. And it's just like, yeah, I shot that like a year ago. You know, I shot that like last year right. and it just right. came out. I haven't worked in six months. Uh, and so right. people are like, you're killing it. I've always seen you work. And I was like, that's because you didn't see how many years you know, of, of, of drought you see and every yeah. actor can relate to that and every performer artist, um, you know, just those, those moments. And also when you're trying to build your resume and you don't want to say no to projects because you need to pay rent and you need to like, you miss a lot. You miss a lot of birthdays. You miss a lot of holidays. You miss a lot of mother's day. You miss a lot because you're on location. Um, and I, a lot of weddings, you know, and you are and sacrificing so much, Harvey. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today and how, how many things that I missed in the last 10 or so years. And now I'm, I'm completely turning my perspective to where family is important. Moments are important. Yeah. Acting is great. But so that is something that I think a lot of listeners really aren't, aren't in the business or, or are getting mm -hmm. into the business. You're kind of, um, it's, it's not the selling of your you soul. Miss of, you're missing out. Yeah, you're yeah, missing out life. so much. You know, life. I miss yeah. life, and I have a, I have a my amazing niece. Uh, I'm an uncle, and and it's sad because every time I see her, she's just like taller, and I've missed out on something, and just like so, I make up for it by like when I am in town, let's go to Disneyland. Like I become a kid right. too. You know, I was like, let's go to Disneyland. Right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go on vacation. Let's go to whatever because I want to make up for, it, and I'm in a position now that. Uh, even though my schedule is, you know, a little crazy at times, I have the, the 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 place where I can say I'm not doing anything these two weeks. I'm not doing this this weekend. Don't call me, you know, or set any appointment or anything for this. I'm allotting that as opposed to before where it was like I could plan to go to a wedding and then I book a movie 
and I had to cancel the wedding yep. because I can't not not do the movie. So that pays my rent yeah. for the next six months. And so uh, my friends have learned that my schedule is so weird, but I have amazing friends. And the, and if they understand the industry, they understand that that goes with the territory. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm getting to a place where I fortunately, hopefully will not be missing you know, more weddings or more, and I can make it work with everything. But, you know, our schedules are so weird. It's like one day you're here and now there's talks of me going out of the country. Like, you know, so it, it changes every day. You have to give up something. I mean, you can't just have a great life as an actor and that's money and it's credits and you have to have, there has to be a deficiency. There's got to be that liability, the other side. Um, but we can only do so much, you know, and, and you're realizing it now well before you've got so much ahead of you to like apply and not fall into that trap because I did for like 10 years. I was just always waiting for the phone call and couldn't go here and had to cancel that. Um, and then you realize you're missing out on so much and then you have nothing to pull from as an actor, you know, emotionally. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what's, what, what's coming up for you? Like in terms of your goals in this business as a, as a creative, Across the board, do you have certain things that you're also invested in aside from acting? Um, yeah. Do you produce? Do you write? Are, are you do. wanting to I get do. into directing? I've been writing with my writing partner, Jamie Holt, for over like a decade now. Um, and we've been developing stuff. We just had a developing deal with Warner Brothers, um, you know, last year and uh, and working on projects and working on with different companies um, that uh, we were excited to work with and to tell stories, especially um, the kind of stories that we want to tell. And some of them are personal stories of me and my upbringing and my, you know, and, and how I got to where I'm at, uh, which is, I think, a story that could be very um, inspirational. You know, it could be, I wish I, I saw a cartoon or something when I was little that represented someone like me who was hustling and trying to do it because it shows that like, oh, okay, so I'm not just crazy. Like, this is cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you told us the story of, of at the beginning, the hustle with your mom and the the dude that to me, I was seeing it as a movie and, and it, mm -hmm. it, you could write that so easily. And I would mm -hmm. love to see something like that. Yeah. I, I think love we're, we're in, in development with that and working oh, on that. And putting on different hats is really important. I think, cause you put so much value as an actor on, if you're not working, you're worthless. You know, if you're not working, you're not desirable. Right. If you're not working, you're not succeeding. And the idea that we, we see that and we see that in our peers and our acting peers where they're waiting for the next gig and it's, and it's like, not just going to the gym, you know, just being sharp. So when it happens and it's like, yeah, that's, that's cool too, you know, but it definitely for your psyche where you start, it's, it, it does something to you where you start like belittling yourself like, Oh my God, I haven't worked in a while. Nobody wants to work with me. This, and then people either get scared and terrified and they leave the business altogether because they're like, we can't, we can't deal with the rejection. Because you have to remember, an actor will hear more no's in one week of auditioning than most people will hear in a lifetime. Oh. Because in one week, oh, yeah. you might have auditions, and you'll hear five no's, one maybe, and one doesn't get back to you, or whatever. And, and most people will change careers two to three times in one lifetime. They'll work at a job for 10 years, like, you know what, I'm going to try something new. That's the second time. And then eventually they move up the ladder and they get a different position and then maybe stay at that job or completely change again. So you're averaging around three shifts in your lifetime, right? Where the average actor has to make four shifts a week of like, I got so close to that job. Oh my God, I'm getting my hopes up. And we shoot in Greece. I didn't get it. You know? And I know when I, when I, any of my friends talk about their uh, interviews in like corporate world, 
they talk about that this one interview that they had and they're really excited about it and that's the interview that they're going to bank on as the job for the next one. and they're just like oh i just can't i don't know what i'm going to do in this interview it's like dude i do this five times a week yeah you're going to be we fine do it so <laughs> often i i i've gotten very good at when i finish a tape i throw my sides away and i try to forget about it and move forward and go to the next sides and i just booked a co-star a week and a half ago and i got the phone call from my manager and i like literally had to go what character is it i don't even what was that what was the what i don't remember taping (laughs) you know what i mean like that was that was seven interviews ago right yeah yeah, you know, and it's good to have that mentality and to shift that because you don't want to dwell on the, you know, because the longer you dwell on that audition or that meeting, you're neglecting what's right in front of you, you know, and right. it's still been a great opportunity mm-hmm. and a great networking. You could have gone to coffee with someone and you're so at home, like, well, I'm just going to wait till it's finalized. And either way, I just need to know. I just want to know, you know, just letting mm-hmm. go of that, just letting it go and moving on because you can really kind of dive yourself into a deep black hole, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, big yeah. time. Um, Harvey, you have a, you have this really really wonderful personality. You're so warm, and I'm I'm interested to hear how you kept being so kind. <laughs> um, you know how the industry really does like affect you. You know you get cynical real quick. How how can if there are people listening who are, are maybe a few steps behind you, and they haven't been to those doors that turn them cynical? How have you kept that positive outlook? That grateful attitude and and all that stuff being kind of really deep in the business. Um, I think that I made a decision a long time ago that I'm not trying to fit into a mold uh, to be something that I'm not. Uh, And so I was going to be my authentic self and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a positive person. Um, I could choose to look at the negative um, and dwell on that, but that's a choice and that's energy and I choose to look at the positive of mm. every event, whether it might be a tragic event. You know what I mean? Um, right. You choose. You choose to where to invest. Uh, I always think about like the chemicals in our bodies that make uh, us feel love. Is also the same chemicals that make hate. They're like the same chemicals that are switched. You know, and it's just like mm. all of a sudden. That's why when someone's so in love with someone and they break up, it's so explosive because those same you were in love with this person and now never want to see them again, you know? And it's just like the same energy just shifted. Right, right. So the same mentality happens where like you can choose to be like positive, everything's going to work out, just keep doing your thing and be optimistic and be lead with empathy and be nice to others and hopefully they're nice to you. And even if they're not nice to you because there's a lot of dicks, you know, in the world and like a lot of people who are, are mean or will try to take you down for no reason other than to to feel powerful themselves. Yeah. And just don't give into it. Don't give into that time of day, you know, don't give them the time of day. And mm. it's just always choosing to, to use that and flipping it over. And, and it, and it's also contagious, you know, people don't want to be around negative people. They want to be positive. If I'm rooting for you, it's because I'm rooting for you for reals. Cause I have, I want you to succeed. I want you to, cause I, if you succeed, we all succeed. Cause if you succeed, you're a positive energy and who doesn't want to be around you know, I always say I always root for all my friends to get whatever they want because then wouldn't that be cool to look around room and everyone that you love and care for is thriving? Just beaming, yeah. Just beaming energy, and you're like, oh my god, you did it! I'm so proud of you. And they're like, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, this isn't about me. It's so proud about you. And they're like, I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of it. And then the, the energy is bouncing off each other, just lifting each other up. 
Yeah. Someone's like, guys, I need your drink orders. What, you yeah. <laughs> You've been hugging for 15 order. minutes. Like, <laughs> I put my sunglasses on. It's too bright in here. Oh, lovely. Harvey, um, do you have anything coming up? That yeah, you can talk that, about that, you, that, that it's not uh, July, July 12th, season four of what we do in the shadows premieres on mm. FX and next day on Hulu. I am the biggest uh, goddamn fan of that show. It's <laughs> so brilliant. This cast, you, everything it is. It's, it's genius. It is so genius. And in every episode, I just, it, every season gets better and better. And it's just, it's the funniest damn thing. And it's so smart you guys are absolutely incredible. So new Thank season you. is coming out. Coming out July 12th on FX and awesome. on Hulu. And you can also look out for my first uh, animated feature, uh, Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish, with Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek, coming out this Christmas. Amazing. Hey, how about awesome. that? That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And if we want to stalk you, where do we look you up? On Insta? Just my full name, at uh, Harvey Guillen on uh, IG and Twitter. Love it. Awesome. Harvey, Harvey, thank you you. so much um, for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat with us. This was really, really, really fantastic. And congratulations on everything. And um, you got so much stuff coming up and coming out and we can't wait to see it. Thank you guys. Have a good one. Thanks Harvey. Thank you so much. Bye. From the get go, man, from the get go. (laughs) When he started the whole story, I was like, this is going to be amazing. Wow. Yeah. Like I could see just, the I could see the film. I could see the show. Totally. It's so that's it's so Man. it's so interesting. Um I really relate to this because whatever my sister and I struggled with early, early, early on with it was just mom and we didn't have any money. It really did form me. And in the darkest, darkest, darkest uh moments of of my like acting career. I didn't even realize it, but I was always just thinking about my mom and how we, we just kept going. We saved our money. We, we had faith in, in whatever we were doing and that it would be okay. And, and it got me through that rough week, that terrible job, that audition that I lost, whatever it was, knowing that you can be in shit and you can, you can get yourself out of it. And I think when you're a kid and you see it, you can't deny it. And for him, it was like so early on, he knew work ethic, he knew gratitude, he knew faith, he knew he owned himself early on. What the way kid owns every step of the way is just barrier after barrier, and people going, "Mm, You can't, I'm so sorry, you can't. And he said, Well, let me show you, and proved all of those people wrong and got what he wanted after everyone just going, Yeah, you can't do that, I'm so sorry. And putting roadblocks in front of him. And he went, nope, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I, you know, yeah. I, have a goal. I have set a goal in my head and my heart and I'm going to get there. And I, I hear you saying no, but I'm still going to go. And man, you know, and it's not even confidence. It's lack of doubt. There's no, there's no doubt to him. There might be some, everybody has confidence issues. This isn't about I'm the best. This is about. I, I know that I'm not bad and I, I can do something. You might not hire me, but I know I'm going to do something great. And, and, and we just doubt so much, especially early on. Yeah. And everything with his story, there's not a, um, 
there's not an arrogance or a cockiness. It's, right. it's just a, I have a goal and yeah. I see you putting up this wall, but I'm, I'm still going to just do it, you know, and prove you wrong. And my goodness, what an incredible story. What an incredible story. Just such a sweet guy. Yeah. Yeah. Great episode. All right, friends and neighbors. Well, you can find out more about Before the Break and how to become a working actor at workingactorpro.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Before the Break Pod and Working Actor Pro. Check out Adam's stuff at adamdecarlo.com. Follow him at that Adam DeCarlo and my stuff at tommybeardmore.com. Follow me at I'm Tommy, by the way. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a rating, and write a review. If you like what you heard, check back next week for an all new episode with an all new guest, Adam. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Adios. You've been listening to Before the Break. The hosts are Tommy Beardmore and Adam DiCarlo. Cover art by Amanda June Boucher. Music by Benjamin Sterley. Before the Break is recorded live from Los Angeles and New York City.